Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're joining us, either in person or online. We're in a series called the Doubters Club, a club that we all have belonged to if we do not belong to it presently. Today's topic is when Christians let you down. Now, often a complaint or stated complaint by people outside of here, about people inside of here, is there a bunch of, what words do they usually use? A bunch of narrow-minded, um, judgmental, and hypocrites is the other word, right? And um, it can be confusing to people out there as well as people in here because people claim that they're Christians and they act in a way that doesn't seem to reflect that declaration of being a Christian. It may be some friend of yours that's posting scripture verses uh, on, on Facebook and then they put up pictures of uh, some wild party they had over the weekend. And you think, okay, which is it? might be a boss that does the same thing, that puts scripture at the job site or where you, office where you work and then you find out, you know, he's cheating on his wife or something uh, or her on him, I guess. Boss could be a woman. Uh, to be a, a, a parent, a relative, a grandparent that claims to be a Christian, and then their lifestyle just seems to be contradictory to that. Um, so it's easy for all of us to be confusing when we look at people that claim to be Christians, whether we're Christians or not, ourselves, and see a, a discrepancy between those two things. It's kind of like this. If you went to the gym, and you know how gyms usually have, you know, energy bars and, you know, healthy drinks, and all you found was like soda pop and potato chips and donuts. It would be a discrepancy, right? You would say, okay, are we promoting health at the gym or not? Um, or if you went to an AA meeting and they had uh, Margarita Mondays, you would think, what's going on here? You know, um, or Tequila Tuesdays, or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's confusing. And I think we'd all agree and we'd all admit that. Now, Jesus... Jesus said he came to, to uh, full of grace and full of truth. Now, those two things are hard for us to, to exemplify. And some people would say we're more full of judgmentalism and lies than we are full of grace and truth. Uh, could have found a lot of comments about this, but I found one by this author. He said this, the single greatest cause of atheism, his opinion, of course, in the world, is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. I remember a comment once that the only Bible that some people read is you. They won't read his book, so you're a Christian, I'm going to figure out what a Christian is by looking at you. That kind of puts some kind of burden on us, right? And so consequently, quote-unquote Christians let us down sometimes, don't they? They don't act the way we would expect them to act or wish they'd act or think they would act. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. Now, Jesus had difficulty with a group of people, according to Scripture, but it wasn't the people that you and I had difficulty with. <laughs> the people kind of out there, we call the sinners, prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus got along with them fine. But there was a group of people, actually it was the religious leaders so today we would say it's the pastors and the seminary professors that you would think that Jesus would have the most in common with, 
that he had the biggest struggle with. So there's a chapter in the Bible, Matthew 23, that's called the seven woes. So Jesus gives warning, seven separate warnings, pretty similar, about religious leaders. Obviously, that we consider ourselves, in their, in their case, committed Jews, but in our case, committed Christians. So I'm just going to read you, I think it's the sixth one of the seven woes. This translation says, what sorrow awaits, or woe to teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. There's our word, hypocrites. Now, I thought this was fascinating for a couple of reasons. The word hypocrite shows up 17 times in the Bible, and the only time, only person to use it is Jesus. Paul doesn't use it, John doesn't use it, but nobody else uses it, just Jesus. Now, the other thing I thought was fascinating, in ancient literature, Jesus is the first one to use the word hypocrite in this context. Up until that time, it goes back to the Greek, uh, most of you probably know this, Greek um, stage. And they were called hypocrites, and they would wear those masks. If they were a sad mask to reflect being sad, or a happy mask, whatever. All right, the person behind it could be doing anything they wanted, but they, they were behind this map, and, it was called, and that's where that word hypocrite comes from. So Jesus made the application from the stage to religious leaders, meaning you are putting on a false face. You are something different behind it. And here's his illustration, this one. You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. So you look good on the outside, but you're a mess on the inside, we would say. And he would give examples like you pray on the street corner not to connect with God, but to impress people. Oh, look at him. He's praying on the street corner. Or you give your alms that way, or you fast, or whatever you do, you do it for people to be impressed by you rather than con connect with, with Almighty God. And so I kind of made an observation about that. Jesus really wasn't calling out their sin. He didn't point, you know, you guys are liars or thieves or, or whatever. He was calling out their show. Their life, they lived their lives for, for, for the show. You know, today we, we, even in ourselves, you know, oh, I hit my thumb with a hammer and I started cursing. I don't personally, but sometimes, you know, people do, right? Or we'll watch something on TV or on the internet that they probably we, sh we shouldn't have looked at. Or, uh, you know, a myriad of so-called sins. Um, but he didn't do that. He just called them out for their show. And then he kind of concluded this passage this way. Jesus didn't mince words. <laughs> he says, you are snakes, son of snakes, or son of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? So, needless to say, Jesus was a little frustrated with the religious leaders of his day, right? And you and I may get frustrated with religious leaders or fellow believers. So I'm going to talk about Three reasons Christians get it wrong. Three reasons Christians get it wrong. Now, the first case is some who claim to be Christians aren't really Christians. You know, people can claim to be anything and not necessarily that. You know, I might be claim to be a wonderful singer, which I'm not, right? Or a wonderful drummer or whatever it might be. I'm not. So people claim things that aren't really true. And so just because you may go to church or watch online or give some money, or even pray, doesn't mean necessarily you're a Christian. Now, I'm not trying to, to, to get us all in the doubters club here. I'm just talking about the reality. All 
So uh, Paul, Paul addresses this in Titus. He said it this way. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving. So he's really making the dichotomy between believers and unbelievers. Why? Because their minds and consciences are corrupted. And then he, next verse, he says this. Such people claim they know God. We would say claim they're Christians, right? But they deny him by the way they live. So, you've got a concept of Christian here, and we have this person's lifestyle here, and they just don't seem to fit, right? Uh, they are detestable, disobedient, worthless for not doing anything good. So, what makes a person a Christian is a follower of Jesus, not somebody who just says they are a follower of Jesus. There's a big difference, right? Um, you say you're a, you're a fan of some sports team, all right? That means you're a follower, right? But you never watch their games. You never go to a game. You don't have any of their paraphernalia. Um, you just say you are. Well, your lifestyle doesn't show that you are. In fact, you may, I might catch you rooting for some other team, right? So that's confusing. Lifestyle versus what we claim. Now, we're going to talk about none of us are perfect. So that's not what we're talking about here, right? So a couple other folks chime in on this topic in Scripture. Well, actually more than a couple. We'll look at a couple this morning. One was James, brother of Jesus. <clears throat> he makes this one comment in, in the book of James. He's talking about faith and works, meaning, uh, you know, uh, you can say you believe, but if you don't act like you believe, then you probably don't really believe. So this one verse, this one comment just is just illuminating. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. So this is talking, you have an intellectual belief that there is a God, and there's only one God, because back then, there was lots of people believed in lots of gods, right? So you believe in a God, one God. Good for you, all right? But, he didn't put but, but I'll put but in. Even the demons believe this. All right, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> demons, followers of Satan, they believe there's one God. In fact, they know there's one God. They, have, they are 100% positive there's one God because they live in the spiritual realm and God's in the spiritual realm. You and I don't. And they tremble in fear because they are 100% sure there's an almighty God Yahweh, whatever term you want to use, and so they tremble. You and I aren't smart enough to tremble if we just have an intellectual faith. And then oh, back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we have this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about all kinds of things. It's really disturbing after you read it. Uh, it's like, damn, I don't know if I can do all that stuff or not. Well, we can't. And then he gets to the end. Most of you know the end is a story about building a house on a rock and building a house on a sand. But you know what he says just before that? That's what we'll look at. So he's talking about the, all these different things, the Lord's prayers in there and all that. And he gets to near the end and he says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So I can claim I'm a believer, I'm a Jesus follower. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to heaven. Why? Because only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So you, just, you can't be just talk, you know, 
That's hip, hip, hypocritical. It's not real. It's about putting on a mask. Then he goes on. On judgment day. There's going to become a judgment day for all of us. Many will say. I don't like that word many in there, but that's what he uses. Many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. These folks got to definitely be in heaven, right? Jesus, no. I'll reply, I never knew you. We never had a personal relationship. Get away from me. You're breaking God's law. No, you can do all these things. In fact, even doing miracles without an intimate personal relationship with God. That's kind of mind-boggling to me. So, some people who claim to be Christians simply aren't, all right? Which is difficult because, you know, it reflects on all of us, obviously. There's a second reason or second group, reasons that Christians get it wrong. Some Christians just aren't mature yet. It's fascinating. The Scripture uses the term born again to talk about salvation. And most of us know, most, how many of us have been parents, that a newborn baby basically can't do anything, can it? It's basically helpless. It has no sense of maturity, physically or otherwise, right? Um, those of us who are parents eventually watched our children grow, hopefully grow at a normal rate, and eventually became mature or adults. Well, the thing thing can or cannot happen in the spiritual realm. There's a natural sense of growth in the physical realm, uh, but the intellectual realm or the emotional realm or the spiritual realm, not necessarily. You, know, you could have been, uh, been a Christian for a lot of years and still been immature, and some grow really quickly uh, after not being believers for very long. The flip side is we probably all know somebody that claimed to be a Christian, was active doing Christian things, and now they deconstructed their faith, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, to the point they don't believe anymore. And it's confusing. Were they believers then and not now? Or were they not then? They were just putting on a show. We don't want to get into that theological argument. But there are true Christians that, for better word, term, are going to let you down. They're going to do something you don't like. They're going to do something you can't understand. They're not going to do something you think they should do, whatever it might be. Uh, the writer of Hebrews dresses it this way. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Infant doesn't know right from wrong. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training. All right, so how do you get from immaturity to maturity? through training, have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So parents, you try and teach your kids that, right? And eventually, when they're adults, you hope they'll make those deci right decisions between right and wrong. Of course, they're going to make some wrong ones, just like you and I did, right? But your hope is, your desire for them is they'll make more right choices than wrong choices. So, we can't help but look at other people. People who claim to be Christians, especially, you know, in a fellowship where we see each other on a regular basis. And, you know, people are going to do or say something and we're going to scratch our head. Where did that come from? Why did they do that? Well, maybe they were just immature. And I think we can be immature in certain areas of our life, 
even spiritually, and, and, and not so much in some other areas. Then there's a third group, reasons we get it wrong, and it's simply this. Even maturing Christians still mess up. Anybody not mess up? No, no hands. Okay. So, I assume some of you are mature. Hopefully, most of you are mature Christians. So, we all mess up. We all have weaknesses. We all have temptations that we struggle with, other things we don't. I struggle with something, you struggle with something else. So, we're all vulnerable to making mistakes. We still have a uh, struggle with the sin nature, right? And so, even though I'm a Christian, I'm not perfect. Not to use it as an excuse, but I'm going to mess up, no matter how hard I try not to, right? So I put on your outline. The struggle I have with this is this. When you and I mess up, we often blame our circumstances, right? You know, I don't feel good. I'm having a bad day. I'm really stressed at work right now. The kids are driving me crazy what it is, so then, you know, I lose a temper, whatever it might be. But on the other hand, when I'm looking at other people, when others mess up, what do I tend to do? Do I say, oh, well, they're probably having a bad day. Oh, maybe. But most of the time, we're going to blame their character. They're a Christian and act like that. They're a Christian and do that. Are they a Christian and don't do that? Uh, what's the matter with that? So in reality, we're all hypocrites, right? We treat ourselves differently than we treat everybody else. So, uh, in the Psalms, the writer of Psalm, this Psalm, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> uses parent-child illustration. <clears throat> the Lord God is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. All right. So, heavenly Father, the only perfect Father out there, and He treats us tender and compassionate. <clears throat> Why? Because He knows how weak we are. And you know your kids, right? You know their weaknesses. And he remembers we are only dust. Now, that's not very complimentary, is it? You know, but we are dust. And what kind of uh, power does dust have to do anything? I mean, it, it, to an illustration of how weak we are, that's pretty d- dy- dynamic or dramatic, isn't it? That we're just dust? Well, who knows us best, but nobody other than God. So he knows we're like dust and we're going to mess up. In fact, you want an excuse the next time you mess up, say, I'm just dust. That's why I messed up. Um, So we're going to hurt other people, right? It's inevitable. I teach this in the membership class. I don't think anybody remembers it. I say, the longer you come here, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Maybe I'm going to hurt your feelings. All right? So you I suggest that you make that decision ahead of time. When that happens, how you're going to respond or how you're going to react. So I put on your outline what I think is reality. When you find yourself hurt by Christians, maybe your expectations were too high. Sometimes we expect them to do be better, more mature, uh, perfect than we are. A phrase I use often, and it's on my desk, and helps me deal with this is, "But by the grace of God, go I." So I see whatever shortcoming you might have. Um, I used a dramatic illustration in the first service that you cheated on your spouse. You were unfaithful to your spouse, all right? Well, but by the grace of God, I would have cheated on my spouse. I, I have the same capability in me to do that as 
this other person did. And so do you. So, but by the grace of God. So don't have too high expectations, especially higher expectations of other people than you put on yourself. So there's an interesting incident from uh, Paul and Barnabas' life. This is in, recorded in Acts chapter 13. And they're out starting churches in modern-day Turkey, all right? And so the Lord's message spread throughout that region. They were spreading it. Then the Jews in, in this certain town stirred up the influential religious women. Now, I, I thought that was fascinating. I don't think I thought about it before. We usually think of women having no influence back in the first century, right? Well, that's not true. In fact, here's proof. In this certain town, there were influential Jewish women. And they were leaders of the city. And they, this group, incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. At least they didn't stone them. They just ran them out of town, right? Now, how do you think Paul and Barnabas felt about that? They felt good about that? No, they were hurt. They were frustrated. They were disappointed, right? So, of course, they gave up at that point. Well, they're going to reject us. Then we're going to give up on this whole Christianity thing. No, they didn't. Um, another phrase that's pretty popular nowadays is hurt people hurt people. So when someone has hurt you, then think, whoa, maybe they are hurting, that's why they hurt me. Um, sometimes we're hurt without them even doing anything deliberately. But, it, you know, it helps me uh, be on common ground with other people. I don't know what, what's going on in their life. In fact, sometimes when I find out, I'm, I'm amazed how well they're doing as opposed to complaining about they're not perfect. So one way to think about it is this way, though. It isn't the church that lets you down, right? Together we're the church. But it's that person that lets you down. I used this illustration recently. You go to a restaurant and you get either bad food or bad service. It could be a restaurant you've been to before, or maybe one of your favorite ones, or one you, you know, you're just trying out before. So especially if it's a restaurant you frequent, do you stop going because one time you got bad service or one time the food it wasn't up to what you expected? No, you order something next, different next time and you get a different waiter next time and they treat you fine. You certainly don't give up going to restaurants, do you? You don't stop eating, stop eating out. So I put on your outline, decide that you're not going to let the sins of people keep you from the goodness of God. And unfortunately, a lot of people giving up on church or corporate worship, and one thing they miss is an opportunity to experience the goodness of God. I think it's one of the greatest ways we experience the goodness of God is in corporate worship. So, somebody hurts you at church, go back to church. If you don't want to go to that church, go to a different church. All right? Because you're going to go back to the restaurant for food, you should go back to the church for spiritual food. Right? So, what Paul and Barnabas do? All right? Well, it's interesting. There's a term that I think can help us in this area of our lives. They shook the dust from their feet. And there's, a, there's an Old Testament or Jewish explanation of that. We won't go into that today. But anyway, they shook the dust off their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconia and preached the gospel there. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So, we say, shake it off, right? Some of you play sports or have played sports. Your coach, you get dinged up and the porch, coach says, you know, shake it off. Of course, if it's something serious, you shouldn't do that. But 
something not serious, just shake it off. Well, same thing when we're dealing with some of the hurts in our lives. Because some of them are just manufactured by us. That person just being them, they made a mistake, whatever. Sometimes it more, seems more personalized. And I don't want to minimize the hurt. Hurt hurts, hurts real, right? And it's easy for people to complain again that we're, you know, narrow-minded, judgmental hypocrites. But I always struggle with that narrow-minded thing. Everybody's narrow-minded about something. Scientists are narrow-minded by the laws of science, right? They're not going to say, no, the law of gravity is not the law of gravity. Oh, you're so narrow-minded. What goes up doesn't have to come down. You know, it's, it's just crazy. But anyway, it's one of my little pet peeves. <laughs> um, but I'm sorry that you've been hurt. But the reality is that you've probably, or have, hurt somebody else too. I'm sorry that I come across hypocritical, but I'm sorry you've been hypocritical also. So I put on your outline, if you've lost faith in Jesus because of people, maybe your faith is in people when it should have been in Jesus, right? Now, I know we can't see Jesus. We can read about him. So we see what we call other believers. And especially when you become a new believer, you, you, you kind of watch other people, try to figure out what, what Christian people do and what Christian people don't. Um, I remember this story from my mom. My mom didn't become a Christian. She was in her 30s and an adult. I was a, t- a young teenager. Anyway, and um, so she's trying to learn this Christ- Christian stuff. And she went to this conference with the pastor's wife. And it was an overnight conference, evidently Saturday to Sunday. And she came home. She was all upset because the pastor's wife made her bed on Sunday morning. Now, for most of you, think that's crazy thinking. But to my mom... You don't work on Sunday, and making your bed on Sunday is work. All right. And we talked about a pastor's wife playing cards a couple weeks ago, right? Um, so we don't put our faith in people. We put our faith in Jesus because Jesus never lets us down. Let me finish with this. Jesus loved people where they were. Warts and all, we would say, right? Shortcomings and all, mess-ups and all. But he didn't leave them there. The woman caught in adultery. Weird story because a couple of reasons. We don't know if she's caught in adultery once or more than once. The guy doesn't, they don't pull the guy in front of Jesus, it's just, it's just the woman. But anyway, needless to say, Jesus says, go ahead and st-. they ask, well, isn't the, the penalty stoning? And Jesus said, okay, those are with you that are perfect, sinless, you can go ahead and stone her. And eventually there's nobody left because everybody is smart enough to realize we're all sinners. And so Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. She just committed adultery. Neither do I con- condemn you. Go and sin no more. Stop doing this. This is not right. This is hurting you and hurting other people. So he loves us where we are. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. On your outline, Jesus had zero tolerance for hypocrisy but unlimited grace for sinners in need of forgiveness. Like the woman in the caught in adultery. We get it wrong. I'm a Christian. I'm going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. How do we deal with that? Let's end with this verse here. Your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciple. And one of the most powerful examples of love 
is forgiveness. So if I've hurt you, I ask you to forgive me, and I pray you do. If you hurt me, I pray I forgive you. Again, uh, this week, if you haven't done this already or do it again, uh, Doubting God on the Bible app. Let me pray with you. Ah, Father God, ah, we're all hypocrites. Hate to admit it, but we are. We have higher standards for other people than we do ourselves. Um, that shouldn't stop us. It shouldn't stop us in a, our Christian walk. It shouldn't stop us in our relationship with you and with other people. Um, we do need to try and be as little, less hypocritical as possible to people outside of here so that uh, we don't become barriers to them uh, seeking a relationship with you, God. And the hurts are real. I look at other people. They frustrate me. They disappoint me. And I do that to other people. I ask them to forgive me. I pray I will forgive them. And God, we know that you forgive us. And for someone that may be watching or sitting here saying, yeah, that you're all a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I'm not a Jesus follower. I pray that you would today would understand we're no different than you, except for the fact that we've accepted God's gift of salvation. Our sins have been forgiven. And we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And even though we're not perfect, we should be maturing, getting better in this life, and eventually spend eternity with God. And we pray today that you would be the day that you would accept that for yourself. Acknowledge it. Say, I accept you, Jesus. I accept, God, your love for forgiveness for me. You will be born again. Father God, continue to speak to us the remainder of the service. Let us go with you from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.